Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Christopher Daniel Barnes, and I was the voice of Spider Man and also the voice of Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid. And you are listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. And John Sherburn, too, if he was here, but he's not. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual... Rigmarole, you took the What's words What's the word? Right out. Rigmarole. Meatloaf, you took the words right out of my mouth. You took the words right out of my mouth. We'd like to introduce our special guest as soon as we tell you where you can find us on them, our social media. Go. I'm in disbelief, sir. You're in a radio studio. I, Let's go. <laughs> Before we get into all that, whatever, yeah, what I, he said. <laughs> so you first of all, so off guard. Yep, yep. Good thing I'm wearing deodorant. First of all, go to <laughs> Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelous. Oh, get no, up I there in there, oh, Mark. I should have said that. No, it's okay. We'll go back to, yeah. <laughs> go on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelous. Go on social media individually. Myself, Facebook at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. On Twitter and Instagram, at Peter Melnick. But like Reckless Eric had said, there's only one place in the whole wide world. Well, you didn't really say that exactly. But that you can find E. Wilson on then our social medias. And that is on Instagram, at Eddie9193. Also, you can find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms. TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc., etc. They're available for all iOS and Android devices. Where you can find an RSS feed, we will be there. Yamo be there. Also, you can find us on iTunes, where you can rate, review, subscribe, and much like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, what? four stars or below, just don't work. Look, McDonald's gets nothing for this. We get nothing for this. And no so, one gets ice cream after 10 o'clock at night because they got to clean the machines. Carvel? What about DQ? Oh, Tom Carvel. What yeah, about Fudgy the Whale? Sonic. What about the I mean, come on. Friendlies? Can we beat Baskin Robbins? Hoggy Nuss? This is so frantic right now. Frenetic. That too. But also, you can find us in your ear holes right now. Ouch. Yeah, it's painful for you. All right, so Eddie, on the other end of the tin cannon string... It's a phone. You can also hear our special guest, Eddie, introduce the man. This is the man. The voice of Spider-Man, the 1994 animated series, and more as we will find out, Christopher Daniel Barnes... Thank you for your patience, and welcome. Oh, that's fine. Thanks, guys. That was a great intro. <laughs> it's the first one we've done this way, and yeah, I kind of like someone it. Someone caught me off guard, I can tell. <laughs> hey, so, you're having fun. That's what matters. Feel honored or, or, or dismayed or something. I don't know. So, Chris, it's the cliche question, but how did you get your start in the world of voice acting? Well, uh, let's see. That goes back to the, uh, the ancient days of uh, when I was in uh, New York, um, as a kid, uh, my fam- my mother and I, uh, and my brother and my sister, we moved to New York. Uh, let's see, I guess it was in uh, 1981. Uh, so I was just a kid, and uh, that's where it sort of, uh, it all started. Like MTV. And, uh, huh? Like MTV, August 1st, 1981. 
Yeah, that's right. There we go. And, uh, you know, I just I started off doing commercials and, uh, you know, print work and, and that kind of stuff. And then uh, voiceover just kind of came along and, uh, and just sort of went from there. But you must have had an interest in something that made you think, hey, you know what, I'd like to try this. Uh, you know what? No, it's sort of one of those uh, cliche Hollywood tales where sort of uh, my stage mother mom sort of, uh, you know, got me into the business and uh, and it just sort of went from there. And I found out I was uh, pretty good at it and, and, uh, and you know, enjoyed it. And it just kind of snowballed and, and turned into a, you know, a 30-year <laughs> career. Oh, that is so excellent because that is something that is an offshoot of a, of a radio quote-unquote career that I have had for 30-plus years. Uh, voice work <laughs> is something that has eluded me. I've tried. I've, I have several books but it kind of came full circle when working at a radio station outside of New York City, I met someone who I recorded that did do voice work, and she said, well, you technically, or pretty much not only do you need to have an agent to help you get work, which can be sporadic, can be feast or famine, depends on who and what type of character they're looking for, but you have to have the sure. kind of schedule where you have a job that your regular hours are mid to late afternoon into the evening, so that if your agent calls you at 10.30 in the morning and says, hey, there's an audition in the city at noon for this part. Can you be there? And most people will be like, uh, no. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of the nature of, uh, of, of the entertainment industry. And, uh, you know, uh, you do that for many, many years. And if you can if you can sustain a career that way, you, you're, you're successful. It's, it's not, uh, not everybody that can, that can do that. Most people have jobs, you know, bartending and waiting, you mm. know, being a waiter or whatever. It's sort of a cliche Hollywood thing. Um, and, yeah, for that reason, the schedules are crazy. Well, the good side is that uh, if you do get voiceover work, you can show up to work in your pajamas. <laughs> that is a fringe benefit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people are doing that now, so what does it matter? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right, exactly, especially these days. you pioneer setter for voice work. The only thing uh, that resembled that, uh, that I thought as a tangent was knowing at least a couple of people who did uh, re- work reporting uh, traffic conditions for many stations, and they would work both the morning and the afternoon drives. So their schedule was kind of ripped up where you know, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. was where they could get their stuff done, other than being on in the morning 6 to 10 and then again from you know 3 to 7 or whatever. Sure, yeah, no, uh, being in Hollywood and the entertainment industry in any way is uh, very crazy. And, you know, now, and that was, you know, of course, back then it was much more uh, rigid. You know, nowadays you have uh, social media and you've got the Internet and you've got, you know, it's a whole you know, cable and Netflix and all these other things. It's a whole different world. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, you got to make yourself available. Take to take those opportunities when you can get them, if you can get them. And you've also got automation and voice tracking and things that have helped in that respect. The converse of a lot of people losing their jobs, but that's a whole dif- different ball of wax, and I don't want to go <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole other world now. Yeah. Did you just do like a rim shot, Eddie? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other things about your career is one of the roles that you did in the late 1980s. You're our first Disney prince on the other end of the line. And what was that whole process like? Well, that was interesting. I was actually doing a, a television show called Day by Day, and I was uh, 15 at the time. And, uh, you know, I just went in and auditioned, uh, you know, like you would for any other job. Uh, you know, nobody really understood at the time what, what was going to happen with, with that film. It was at the beginning of sort of the new era, the new era of Disney, and uh, The Little Mermaid was really the one that broke out. And, uh, you know, made a bazillion dollars and sort of introduced that, that whole new uh, sort of a renaissance, uh, renaissance of, of Disney animation. Um, and uh, so, you know, at the time, I, you know, I had no idea what, what not, I don't think anybody had any idea what was about to happen with that film. Uh, so I was, you know, just able to go in on audition. And uh, I don't think I'd be able to do that now because you kind of have to be a celebrity now 
to do a Disney film, right? That's sort of the way it goes, the, the voiceover stuff especially. Um, but back then, you just sort of went in, and I was just a working actor, and uh, uh, booked the job and, and recorded it. And then, I mean, it was only a few days of, of, uh, of work. But my goodness, what a, what a legacy that became. It became uh, decades of, uh, of being part of this wonderful uh, uh, Disney franchise, this Disney world, this uh, cultural sort of event. Um, and it's, it's been really, a really uh, an honor to be a part of because people will come up to me at conventions and you know, say things like, you know, oh, I was such a big fan, and you know, oh, my, here's my daughter, my daughter's a big fan, and oh, here's my granddaughter, she's a big mm. fan. So it's, kinda, it's really kind of neat. Uh, to do that, Spider-Man is kind of similar that way, in that you know it's it's different generations will do, uh, will interact with it, you know the the show in a, in a different way, and so it's always nice to hear when uh, when when you know people find your performance, so they they see a project that you did, and uh, you know it still resonates with them uh, all these years later. That's a great feeling. And you've hit two of the uh, three big Disney you know kind of franchises. You know you hit one of the feature film animated movies. You've done something. You didn't know at the time it would eventually become part of it, but something Marvel-related. Have you done anything with Star Wars? Because I feel like, you, you know, you hit the uh, the hat trick with that right when you get that. I, 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 I feel like that that, uh, that needs to happen now. That, that, that is the natural sort of the, the arc of my character, sort of the trajectory of my destiny. I, uh, I am destined to, uh, you know, <laughs> become part of a Star Wars franchise in some way. The only connection I have to Star Wars is a commercial I did. In like 1980, you know, I don't know, four or something like that, for uh, you know, the little for the Empire Strikes Back action figures. So I don't know if that qualifies, but I suppose that's my only connection to Star Wars. Although I, I think I should play a Sith now, and I've spent a lot of years playing the princes and the heroes, and uh, you know, I'm sufficiently uh, you know old and uh, uh, wizened and uh, uh, you know corrupted by life that I I, I really think it's na- it's a natural fit. It's time for me to, to see. Just go right into <laughs> time the to Sith see role. how the other hand lives. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you said live, uh, you know, die to hero, or live, live long enough to become the villain. I, I, I seem to have become the villain in a bunch of the animated stuff I've done. But yeah, that, that needs to uh, now uh, manifest in the Star Wars universe. Well, if you can, before I forget, Chris, uh, remind us how long the Spider-Man animated series lasted, and if you know how many episodes and how much uh, time it took. Because I guess you had a regi- somewhat regimented schedule, like okay, we got to do oh, yeah. three episodes in a week or whatever, and yeah. My goodness, I think it was, I want to say it was around 65 episodes, I think we did. Uh, and I, it was over a course of several years uh, that we did that. Um, but it was, uh, it was done like an old radio show, which was kind of, you know, interesting and, and different. Uh, but it gave the show a different feel. Um, one of the, I think the, one of the charms of the show was that it, it was not written as a kid's show. Um, it was, uh, like I said, it, it, it was even uh, recorded like an old radio show. And we had a lot of big names. Uh, uh, on, on the show, a lot of old Hollywood okay. royalty, you know, came in there, and it was uh, it was a real interesting experience. I mean, I appreciated it even you know back then as a you know whatever I was twenty two, twenty three year old kid, uh, and of course you know subsequently years later I I, I have come to appreciate it even more. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great show, and we had a lot of fun, and I want to say it was about. Three, three, four years we did it, 65 episodes, something like that. What, do you have any memories particular of working alongside Ed, uh, Ed Asner, who played J. Jonah Jameson? Well, Ed is a character. I mean, uh, when I worked with I think the thing that stands out most about him was his, his no-nonsense, like a human bulldog. He, just, he was just, you know, no-nonsense. He would do the work, 
And uh, he was just a very honest, very straightforward guy. And, uh, you know, he's, he's always been that way from what I understand. And I haven't seen him, you know, much over the subsequent years. But uh, that's what stands out about his personality. He just very much was who he was. And I wasn't going to change that for anybody. That seems to be a, a defining characteristic of his uh, his personality. I'm trying to catch up on what you said, Chris, about it being like an old radio show. Because, I mean, geez, this is the 90s. And, I, I mean, you're doing voices without... You are doing voices with, with pictures. If you're talking old radio show like before TV... No, what I mean is that um, uh, there were multiple people in the booth. Uh, so normally what you do is uh, you everybody records their stuff independently. Um, and then they, you know, they splice it all together. But in an old radio show, everybody was in the booth together. Now, you normally yeah. don't do that because, you know, sounds can bleed through and people can talk over each other and, it, you know, it, it can cause a lot of problems. But at the same time, when everybody's in the booth together, you get a different feel. And I think that's why they did that. They went back to this sort of feeling of the old radio show where everybody was together. Uh, there were, it, nothing was to picture. It was all just, you know, in our, in our heads. And um, I think that added something to the, to the quality of the show, which is... Which is uh, uh, lended, uh, which has helped it become an enduring uh, show. But it, it just was a little different, and it added a quality which I think people have uh, have really appreciated over the years. Well, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah, if you were all together and doing the radio show, did you all have individual microphones? Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, yeah. hey, that's a silly the, question. It, no, it's not because <laughs> in the old radio show, old radio show, when there was no TV, everybody was on the same mic. I've seen I've seen footage anyway. I, I wasn't there. I'm, I'm not that a, old. I'm getting a stern finger pointing. That is right exactly now. <laughs> correct. And the, hand, and, the, and the hand gesture. You just listen to me, Melnick. Well, well, Eddie, you're also Italian too. So but we there both was do also the same. that's right. Then there was also a sound effects guy. So I don't know if you had one of those too, but no. No, we didn't have that. But just in the sense that we were all together, which was pretty yeah. unusual for the time. I get it. But you're also, I would imagine, I'm trying to get the visual on how you would be recording being all there. I would think you're looking at footage of what's going to be. The vision, you know, the picture part of this whole project. No, actually, uh, that's uh, that's the other thing that makes it like an old radio show. It was just uh, we were just reading off the script, and uh, mm-hmm. it was all in our heads. And uh, that, uh, like I said, that added another sort of theatrical element to it, which I think uh, people have come to appreciate. Well, I just realized, though, in your case, if you're being Spider-Man, it doesn't matter because you can't see your mouth move. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But I was always imagining his, you know, swinging around and his, you know, his his body posture and what he was doing and how oh, he was sure. fighting and. Moving and that was uh, something that I think came to me because uh, I uh, I was such a fan of the comics as a kid. So. You probably never had to say you know walloping web snappers though. <laughs> That's right. I don't think so. Right for your time. <laughs> and you just uh, you just technically answered one of the questions we have from one of our listeners, Diana Co on Twitter, uh, Dico on Twitter. She asked, uh, "Were you a fan of Spider Man before landing the role?" So you just oh, said huge, you were. Yeah. What were like some of your favorite stories involving the character? Well, I think that. Uh, well, I loved the whole um, Secret Wars thing. I loved his role in Secret Wars. I thought that was very interesting. And of course, the Gwen Stacy, you know, storyline. But what if comics involving Spidey? I loved. Um, but uh, I think that uh, helped me get the role because when I went into the booth audition, I had such a uh, an appreciation of the, uh, of the character for the character, and um, I had spent so much time you know, reading him and studying him and sort of you know acting him out as a child. That when I went into the the booth to voice him, it was sort of it was it was already sort of in there, you know. It was it was sort of a part of me in many ways. So when I would you know say the lines, I, I already sort of had a visualization of what he was doing and how he would be moving and what it would look like and who the villains were and all that. So I you know, I like to think that that translated into the performance, which is why people have uh, uh, have have found it uh, 
you know, to be uh, uh, sort of enduring, an enduring Spider-Man. Was there, like so. uh, was, was there a what-if story? I'm thinking about a possible Spider-Man story. Was there one where what if Spider-Man kept or had the extra four arms? I think there was. There no, was. it was. It was. I think the the one I'm talking about is the what if Gwen Stacy lived. God, that was right. Brilliant. Oh yeah, that was the, the first the first run. Yeah, absolutely. Oh sure, that's while, right. While we're on the phone with Technical Peter, who do you prefer more, MJ or Gwen? Oh. Well, they're very different characters. Uh, I, I had a woman actually ask me that at a convention, and I answered her, but within the context of our show because because uh, the the show that I did it was Mary Jane, it was Saratoga Ballantine. Um, Felicia and the Black Cat—that was sort of a that was Jennifer Hale voiced her. That was a different sort of thing. So there really wasn't that kind of uh, dichotomy. Um, so MJ was really the love interest in the in the, the character that I interacted with the most uh, on our show. So I answered. I said, "Well, you know, Mary Jane, because that's the character that that I interacted with as Spider-Man on that show." And uh, you know, only subsequently did I realize that she was dressed as you know Gwen Stacy and 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 you know sort of just you know. Turned away from the mic and walked away in a huff, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how to respond to that. But I was thinking, you know, it was my, and then somebody else jumped up in the background and cheered. I was <laughs> and just, I said, oh man, <laughs> I was just thinking when you were asked that question. Wait, 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 look at her. What does she look like? Yeah, I was, I was too busy being honest. Oh. And I think that was, you know, that one of my many faults. Mm-hmm. Such a downfall. <laughs> And you also mentioned the downfall. Yeah, don't ever be honest in Hollywood. It's you know it's never going to end well. <laughs> and you also mentioned that the series had more of like a adult feel for it in terms of the writing. How it was you know it wasn't written for children. It was written for adults, and yeah. that's one of the big benefits. That, you know, it came around the same time as series such as X Men the animated series, and of course sure. Batman the animated series. How much of an influence do you think your show also had on other animated programs? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that it had uh, some impact. Uh, I had a, a, a fellow give me a, another uh, interview I did. He, he paid me a huge compliment. He said that he thought my Spider-Man was sort of a, a template for many of the future performances that, that came. And I said, well, if that's true, that's a huge compliment that uh, I could sort of, you know, uh, you know, portray the character in such a way that other people would want to emulate that in some way. Um, but I think it's, I think it's because the show was sort of, uh, um, a, an exploration into mythology. I talk a lot in interviews about mythology and sort of art types and that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, the Spider-Man, well, the whole Marvel universe is that way. Um, it's sort of our modern mythology and, uh, you know, people don't read the Iliad as much or, you know, the Aeneid, so to speak, um, or the, you know, the Odyssey, but, uh, uh, they read Marvel, and uh, that's why I think you know you have conventions where you know 100, 200, 300,000 people show up in cosplay and to participate in that in that mythology. Um, so I think that if you have a show that, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons for the success of the MCU, that sort of deals with you know quote comics and comic book stuff in in a in a in a mythological sense, it, it just has a real compelling draw, and it uh, you know it has a perennial appeal because it's dealing with uh, aspects of the human condition that don't change you know i mean spider-man is the coming of age hero uh, and and that doesn't change because every generation has to go through that and uh he's also the everyman you know it's it's you know he's an average sort of you know kid with lots of problems and that people can relate to 
And I think that was one of the, I've said this many times before, it's one of the uh, appeals to, to Marvel over the DC universe was DC was filled with these sort of Olympian gods. And that, that can sort of be very unrelatable and uh, uninteresting. But when you have people with, uh, you know, superheroes with, you know, drinking problems and, you know, and, and school problems and girlfriend problems and all this, you know, Tony Stark and Spider-Man, all these kinds of things, you know, suddenly people go, oh, gee, that's, you know, it's relatable. That's like the real world. That's, and yet they have these uh, extraordinary powers which enable them to overcome or to do, you know, extraordinary things. But, of course, this is really what the myths are about. You know, the superheroes are really about us. It, it, it's not about having, you know, lasers coming out of your eyes and, you know, sticking to walls. It's about being a, a normal person who's capable of overcoming extraordinary adversity uh, through something that's inside you, and I, I think that's that's the real appeal to the to the to the myth. And in, you had mentioned earlier that you go to a lot of these conventions, you do appearances. This other question comes from Daiko, and it is: How has the experience of meeting fans, both of the show and of Spider-Man in general, been for you? Oh, it's been a very positive experience for me overall. Thankfully, um, I, I've always enjoyed the conventions. The, the fans have always been. Uh, very pleasant, and uh, you know it's been a very positive experience. Uh, what, one thing I've I said this before uh, is that I've heard consistently, you know, people would come up to me and they would say things like "Thank you for being so nice," and I thought that was such an odd thing to to hear, and yet I, I kept hearing it at different conventions, and then it sort of dawned on me that man, sometimes people aren't nice. <laughs> you know, and I thought, like, what, like. What are you going to, what are you doing here if you're not going to be nice to the fan? You know, like, it, it was just sort of a bizarre thing. And I, I realized, you know, of course, it's because a lot of these, quote, celebrities kind of, you know, take themselves too seriously and it can get kind of weird. And, and, uh, but like, that's the thing that people need to understand. It's not, it's not about you. It's about the, it's about the myth you're interacting with. And it's about how you are facilitating another person interacting with uh, that mythology and how that make how it makes them feel. So you kind of sort of, you need to sort of get yourself out of the way, take yourself out of the equation, so to speak. Do you and, have any, uh, and you know allow that to happen? Do you have any uh, particular memorable fan interactions in terms of like you know a super positive experience from a fan? Yeah, uh, one that just happened uh, relatively recently was a guy. You know, he said uh, how Spider Man helped him from you know a deal with being bullied at school, and uh, you know I don't know maybe twenty years ago you wouldn't have thought much about that, but you know in the age of uh, school shootings, and uh, you know that means something to me when somebody says something like that. Because, you know, that, well, because you never know. And so if somebody can, you know, see a show you do or, you know, a story you write or a mythology you're, you're interacting with, and it sort of inspires them and helps them to, you know, not feel alone and helps them to, you know, overcome their issues, well, then maybe we all benefit, right? And uh, so it's, that, that, that stands out to me. And sometimes people come up to me and say that, you know, I, I helped them, you know, that I made their childhood better. And like you know, I did not have a good child, and I came a very from a very dysfunctional home. And uh, so when I hear something like that, that's extremely, uh, uh, you know, rewarding to me to hear something like that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's always been a positive experience with the fans so far. I've noticed that with a lot of you guys from you know Spider-Man the animated series, X-Men the animated series. We had a few months ago uh, Cal Dodd, the voice of Wolverine, and you know he recounted sure, some yeah. stories of the positive fan experiences he's had, and much like what you had just said. It's always from fans saying, you know, expressing gratitude for your contribution in their childhood. Which is what makes it so amazing to me to, to have heard as many times as I've heard, thank you for being nice. Because what that means is that people are having experiences with, with you know, 
with their heroes that, that, that are not good. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, if you're taking yourself so seriously that, you know, it's, it's about you instead of the character you played or in, instead of the fans' experience, like, man, that's just really unfortunate. I mean, what a, what a, that's just really sad because you're ruining it for them and it's your job to make it good for them. So, you know, yeah, so it's always been a very uh, 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 nice interaction with me, fortunately, for, uh, you know, for, with, with all the fans. So, I mean, you know, it was a good thing. For myself, you know, with uh, seeing a lot of the convention and, you know, convention uh, meet and greets and whatnot, it, it's, it can be very, like, assembly line. You know, like, for example, right towards the end of his life, Stan Lee, it was very, all right, next one, next one, next one. And they wouldn't let you have that experience of meeting the person and expressing gratitude or anything. And... It's always my, like, uh, my, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, my wife said something to me uh, when she has come to me uh, with me at two conventions. Uh, she turned to me one day and she said, uh, she said, baby, she goes, I don't know how you do it. She said, you hear this, people say the same thing to you over and over and over again, and they say it a thousand times in a row, at a, you know, at different conventions, they say the same thing over and over and every time you look at them and you smile and, and you act like you've never heard it before and you thank them. And I said, yeah, because that's my job. Like, it's, like that's what I'm there to do is to like, make it a positive experience for them. Because, because it doesn't matter if I've heard it a thousand times. That's the only time they get to say it to me. And that's what matters. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Maybe I'm taking it too seriously, but that's always the way I've kind of looked at it. And I know right now, um, you know, what with the current climate of the world going on, that they're doing a lot of virtual conventions. And I believe, uh, I think you're doing stuff with Wither, uh, Wizard, there we go, uh, Wizard World? Yeah, we just did, a, I just did two different virtual thingy-mabobs, and it was kind of cool, man. I mean, uh, you know, there was like a little interview, and we were all sort of on the screen, and, and then the people would, uh, you know, uh, I guess they would do these like little, you know, few-minute meet-and-greet things, you know, on, on the, the Zoom or the Skype or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was great. It was it was it was virtual fan interaction. You know, it was a uh, fan interaction from a distance. But you know what? It, it, all the same rules applied. It was all the same kind of thing, just without being able to shake their hand or, you know, uh, if they wanted to give you a hug, they couldn't give you a hug. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, it it kind of you know serves the same purpose, hopefully. And you know, with a lot of the stuff going on in the world of like you know the advancements in technology that you can go and do a virtual convention, you know, do the uh, quote unquote meet and greets. You're you're still meeting and you're greeting, so it's still in the name. But there's also things. Have you done a cameo at all? Oh yeah, yeah, I have a cameo thing set up, and I've done a bunch of those. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What is the most interesting cameo request you've ever gotten? Uh, you know what? I don't. Nothing really stands out because they've all been real kind of similar. Generic stuff. I mean, uh, you know, they want to talk to the Little Mermaid, uh, Prince Eric, or you know, the, or Spider Man, or uh, Greg Brady, or something, and uh, you know, shout outs and that kind of thing. Uh, but it's it's just been very normal. Like I, I haven't gotten any weird requests. I don't know if I would do any weird requests, but you know, I, I just, <laughs> it's kind of a normal dude, you know. <laughs> so, but it's, it's always been a very positive interaction too. Maybe we touched on this, Chris, already, but uh, so forgive me if I'm repeating, but. With respect to comic books and characters, was Spider-Man pretty much the first one you were getting into and, and maybe getting into that role kind of cold? And then that leads me to to ask what comic books and whatever age it was that you maybe started to read or at some period of time growing up? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I loved Spider-Man. I liked uh, Doctor Strange. Um, and uh, uh, I 
then I became a, a really big uh, J.R.R. Tolkien fan. So I've always sort of gravitated towards the mythical, uh, I think, for, you know, obvious reasons. And, um, uh, yeah, but those were probably my, my two favorite. I would probably say... Uh, let me say Spidey and and Doctor Strange. Actually, I'd like to play. That's what I'd like to play. I'd like to play Nightmare. I think I'd like to be the voice of Nightmare wow. in a Doctor Strange film. And that's never going to happen, but that that, well, that would be my dream. <laughs> the first time you said mythical in this interview or mythological, I thought immediately of uh, Thor. Oh yeah, absolutely. So another one of your favorites, maybe? Uh, not when I was a kid, but I got into Norse mythology later in life, and I really enjoyed it. But uh, now we were sort of moving away from. Uh, the comic book version more into the, uh, you know, the uh, the sagas and the you know the the poetic Edda and the North, you know, all that kind kind of stuff. Very different, but uh, yeah, that was a, that was sort of later in life I discovered the Norse thing. When it comes to Spider Man, you know, reading the books and whatnot, what is it about the character for yourself that makes him so um, easily accessible for anyone to read? Well, I think that uh, Spider Man is a very innocent character. He is, he's, he's young, he's filled with hope and optimism, and no matter how, you know, he, you know, how hard he gets smashed down, uh, whatever obstacles he faces, he comes back with humor, uh, you know, wit, um, and optimism. I, and I, I just think that's, that's a really charming and appealing uh, quality uh, to a hero. And I think a lot of people <laughs> really appreciate that uh, because, boy, isn't that what we lose as we get older? You know, we lose our optimism. Uh, you know, we lose our humor in many ways. And, you know, that's, I, I think there's something sort of that the human psyche that we sort of sense about life that can become uh, very challenging that way. And uh, so to see that so embodied in the character uh, is just inspiring. I think that's actually a reason why Captain America is so popular also, because it's, it's a similar thing. It's different. It's, it's in a slightly different way, but there is a kind of purity to the character, kind of, a, um, I don't know, a psychological, psychic purity to the character that you know, could maybe be criticized as being naive, but uh, is, you know, is hopeful, too, in a way. Now, one of the other things about the series that, stands out is the wide variety of villains throughout the series and you got to work alongside somebody you know we had mentioned star wars you got to work alongside mark hamill and what was that experience like and how into the character did he get oh man he was a madman yeah no that guy was uh he, he was awesome you know he, he was like the veins are popping out of his head and you know he, i think he was freaking people out in the booth I mean, I just loved it because it was more to work off of. You know, it was just like, this guy's going to kill me. I better be on my game. <laughs> you know? yes. so, I mean, yeah. I didn't have to imagine those, you know, those uh, pumpkin bombs getting thrown at me. I mean, uh, you know, I go, whew, just, you know. And, uh, yeah, a lot of energy, a lot of intensity, and uh, just a great actor. Uh, and what a great voiceover actor. He got so much. But, like, boy, if you could see him in the booth doing his thing, I mean, uh, yeah, wow. And, you know, with, with the character of Hobgoblin, there's also so many other villains that were utilized throughout the series. And, you know, our, our audio engineer, John, had mentioned to me that the uh, villain for him that stuck up more than anyone was the uh, episode with the spot, for example. And just how, you know, you guys would pull such random characters from the Spider-Man mythos. I think, uh, and the other thing is the, the characters, the, the quality of the talent that we would get to play these characters because you think like it's just a it's just a you know a, a Saturday morning cartoon, right? 
wrong. I mean, we had like, you know, we had like Martin Landau and I mean, we had all kinds of really, you know, powerful, strong, you know, these incredibly talented people. Maybe it's the appeal of a villain. I don't know, but they are fun to play. And, you know, um, you, you, but uh, yeah, they would they would pull from the full uh, the full spectrum of the Spidey universe for sure. And you mentioned, you know, you know, we mentioned earlier you were a part of the beginning of the Renaissance of the Disney uh, films. There's also you were a part of the Renaissance of children's television animation and Saturday mornings in general. And the 1990s were a wonderland of content. You had Spider-Man the animated series, X-Men the animated series, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Tiny Toons. Let's see what else you got. Live action with Power Rangers, Beetleborgs, VR Troopers, so much stuff. And your show is one of the most memorable and one of the ones that holds up pretty damn well. It's not dated. Like, I was watching some of the episodes fairly recently, especially with, you know, them being on Disney Plus, you know, easily at my fingertips. It's insane how well that holds up. Well, I think that's a testament to the showrunners and uh, how they designed the show to be... uh... You know, uh, uh, a an exploration into the mythical and and sort of the, the universal themes, because of course the more universal uh, a theme that you you know address, the uh, the more enduring it, it, it's going to be, because people are going to deal with that as long as there are people. Uh, it's not a uh, you know a, a sort of flash in the pan. It's not a a, a you know problem of the moment uh, that you're dealing with. It's a it's a problem of the human condition and you know the human condition you know hasn't really changed in you know a couple million years right <laughs> anatomically modern humans uh, you know 200,000 years ago or whatever we're still pretty much doing the same stuff so the other, uh, it doesn't surprise me the other thing that's cool about it is when you look at like the character designs of how, like how the characters are dressed i could you know you could show that to somebody now and they'd be like oh it's taking place now it's it's kind of crazy in that aspect like you guys managed to create something that comes off as timeless. Well, isn't that the best compliment you can give mm-hmm. the uh, the creators of the show? Um, if it's if you create a piece of artwork that's timeless, I mean, man, that's mission. You know, that's, that's mission accomplished as an artist, right? That's uh, that's what you want to hear. So if I can be, you know, if I'm associated with a project like that, that's that's just a a huge honor, you know. And so far, it 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 has endured. So you know. That's great. That's that's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. Well, with respect to that and creating the show and the storylines, were you at an advantage, you and the other cast members, in terms of going off of comic book stories, or were they coming up with original story ideas just for the show? And were you part of the you know brainstorming sessions kind of thing? No, no, I was not at all uh, mm-hmm. part of the creative process, uh, other than just the uh, bringing the character to life, uh, uh, you know, theatrically. Um, no, that, that all, uh, you know, is the credit of like, you know, John Semper and, and, uh, the people who were producing and, and writing the show. Um, and I think they were drawing on the, uh, the canon and the lore of the Spider-Man mythology. And I, I think it's also one of the reasons the show is so successful and continues to be, uh, appreciated is that, uh, you know, they were, they were really staying true to the sort of the core values and tenets of, uh, of the comic and of the world and uh and and therefore you know it endures well that goes back to then talking about the characteristics of spider-man and peter parker and uh, not you know having all those qualities that we all know and 
cherish essentially without him you know going into a, a bit of arrogance so that uh, makes him more i think uh, attractive and, and appeals to the masses um but what i was going to tie in also possibly is with all the people that you worked with and doing your various uh, roles were there any instances where there had to be any duplications or just each voice actor did a specific character and there was no duplication oh no i think we i mean i think there were duplications for you know i mean yeah there's sure i'm sure that everybody played more than one character at some point doing something um but uh you know i don't think that was you know terribly widespread um but yeah i mean you know i, I you know, i'm sure everybody played more than at least at least one other character at some point in the show maybe just minor then it wasn't like a major one cuz you would pick up i think unless you had to adopt an accent or a certain brogue or whatever then it wouldn't be uh, noticeable yeah, no, I was uh, uh, recently in Ultimate Spider-Man, which was the last uh, Spider-Man series that I was on. I played uh, uh, several characters. I played uh, I played Electro, and I also played Spider-Knight hmm. and, and in the same episode, and they were talking to each other. <laughs> so I, I literally had to, had to have a conversation with myself. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Please but, tell uh, me you did yeah, the was, uh, move to one side of the... Different... Oh, please tell me you did the one move to one side of the room for one character, one side of the room for the other one. No, I, I actually uh, I was doing that show, and uh, you know, Electro is a very good Electro kind of a character. You know, he's kind of got a kind of a, a different thing going on. But uh, I love I love the sort of thuggish, brutish sort of you know aspect to Electro's character from the original comics. Now, this uh, question comes from Facebook. Comes from uh, Josh uh, Sorrell. Did you ever hurt your voice yelling Mary Jane or no? Uh, yeah, uh, your, your voice gets pretty, pretty trashed, uh, when you're going all out on those, uh, on those performances, especially in, in, in some of those episodes, which I think he's referring. Uh, yeah. And also uh, the fight scenes where you're uh, grunting and oomphing and oofing and offing and, you know, getting punched and throwing punches and kicks. And you have a whole system of, uh, you know, what a stomach punch sounds like and you know what a kick sounds like and you know what swinging sounds like and yeah it can be pretty it can trash your voice why don't voiceover guys get a sponsorship from ludens or like any other lozenge company that'll be it's lucrative yeah i tell you you, you survive off of uh, you know uh you know tea and honey <laughs> when you're in a voiceover throat job. spray <laughs> lipton give this man a hand <laughs> yeah, throat, uh, slippery elm tea. You know, yeah, exactly. A throat coat or whatever it's called. Now this slippery qu- elm. This question also comes from John Gorga. I'm going to read it. I always want to know whether these actors a read comics as a kid or b read comics currently as an adult. I sp- suspect no one would care about that, so don't ask him that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't anymore, but uh, I did very much as a kid, as I've said, and uh, it, you know, it's uh, it's like I said, it's the modern mythology. So it's uh, you know, it's very. Very inspiring. And John, as a child. and John also asks, what about asking him how he reacted to John Semper Jr.'s connecting the plots and making season-long arcs before they start to do that uh, commonly in television? Basically, there was Captain Power, Babylon 5, Spider-Man the Animated Series, and then five years later, it was ubiquitous. Well, I mean, I think that's another, uh, another uh, reason why the show endures. It, it's, it was ahead of its time in that way. It, it was strange. It combined... Older aspects of Hollywood, like the old radio show, and uh, modern innovations, or which would become commonplace. 
And I think that is a good combination. And we got two from uh, Kelly McDaniel. Uh, who are the more intense fans, Spider-Man fans or Disney fans? Well, I guess now it's all under one umbrella, right? <laughs> uh, gee, let's see. Uh, you know what? I, I, there's no way to make that distinction. They're both very passionate. Um, one of the fun things that I, I get to experience is uh, very often, just because of the nature of, of the, the work I've done, uh, a couple will come up, and the you know one might come up for one, and then the other realizes that I was the other. So very often, you know, the wife might come up because I was Prince Eric and the husband will go, Whoa, dude, you were Spider-Man. What? <laughs> or the guy will come up and the wife will go, Oh my God, you were Prince Eric. You know, so it's, 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 uh, it's kind of funny. That's happened many, many times. So I like to say, I bring, I bring families together. I bring marriages closer. <laughs> they come up to the booth. <laughs> and Kelly's other question is if you had to pick, who would you rather have seen your Peter Parker with, Mary Jane or Felicia? The voice chemistry with Felicia, with how the scripts were written for the cartoon, basically made her a fan of the Black Cat. Well, I mean, geez, those are two. I mean, again, this is the Mary Jane uh, sort of uh, Felicia question. Uh, you know, that's... I I don't know. I mean, uh, let's see... I, yeah. It's just they're two different characters. It's two different uh, aspects to Peter and to Spider-Man. Um, I guess the, mo the more important question is, you know, what do you prefer as the fan? Like, what you know, what do you prefer and why? Um, for me, it was uh, to bring both relationships uh, to life, um, you know, to the best of my ability and as authentically uh, as possible. Uh, and I guess. You know, if, if people found value in, in one over the other or, or are curious about that, uh, I, I guess it's, I, I, I'd like to think it's because, you know, uh, it could have gone either way. And, and it, they were, the performance made them interested in both. So I guess that's a, that's a good thing. And it also helps, again, you had mentioned, you know, the uh, radio re voice recording dynamic of it. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. that shows absolutely. And we also have one more question from Facebook. It is from Facebook fan Kyle Barardo. I hope I pronounced his name without botching it. Uh, let's see. I, he had heard a rumor that you were an extra in one of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Is that true? And if so, was it an homage to the cartoons? Uh, it is not true. I wish it was true. That would be great. But alas, I was not in any of the Sam Raimi I'm I'm surprised that you know Marvel Studios has not given you a call to appear in one of these movies you know be it live action or animated and because they've done it for uh, the voice of uh, Sp uh, Spider-Man in Hulk, Eddie, it, he was in uh, Hulk 2003 and Incredible Hulk because he played the Hulk in the Spider or the the thingy with the stuff and you know oh, that the guy right. and he goes angry Hulk <laughs> there we go. Uh-huh. Mamma mia. Anyway. Um, Who's the Italian now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I digress. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of surprising that, you know, you have not been asked to appear in the live-action movies because your Spider-Man is the most memorable of many, you know? And it, it's really <laughs> oh, hard. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, and, you know, a, this question had come up from a number of people, so I'm just going to ask, you know, the broad generalization of it. Have you been asked to appear in Into the Spider-Verse 2? And if not, and they asked you, would you take the role? Oh, of, 
Well, I have not been asked, uh, but of course I would. That would be wonderful. Uh, I don't think I've ever turned down an opportunity to participate in the Spider-Man mythology. Um, it's always an honor. It's always an honor. I'm always humbled when they call, and uh, I'm always happy to uh, answer the call and and uh, play the the character. And the fact that anybody, after all these years, would even care uh, is just a huge honor. So, yeah, of course. I mean, I would... That would be a wonderful thing. Um, no. You know, why they haven't? I don't know. I mean, you know, I have no idea. But if they did, what I, of course. That's right. Yeah, sure. Christopher's not worried about being typecast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't care about any of that. <laughs> no. no, I love the character. What was your reaction? Did you uh, see uh, Into the Spider-Verse? No, I've not seen Into the Spider-Verse. It is on Netflix, so give it a watch ski on there. It's yes, pretty great. absolutely, yeah. But I've heard only good things. It, it's honestly, for me, it's my favorite comic book movie ever made. And that's like oh, really well, saying something. Wow, that is saying something, yeah. But in regards to, you know, your portrayal of Spider-Man, you know, you know, in all different forms, you were in Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, which, once again, is considered one of the best Spider-Man games of all time. And, you know, they're currently working on uh, Spider-Man 2 for the PS5, and that's Miles Morales game. Again, similar yep. kind of question. Would you be interested in partaking in the Insomniac Games, Spider-Man games for that? Oh, of course, absolutely. Uh, you know, when they called me for Shattered Dimensions, I, I've told this story many times, but I'll tell it again. Um, you know, they, they asked me if I wanted to do, you know, if I was interested. And I said, well, you know, sure, but I think I'm a little old to be Spider-Man. And they said, no, no, this is different. This is Spider-Man noir. This is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different universe Spider-Man. He's, you know, he's older, he's... He's darker. He's a little bitter. And I said, you know, oh, so he's me. So I said, of course I can play that. <laughs> so I, I, I say that every time I tell a story because it just goes to show if you can grow with mythology, uh, you know, you, you might have something to contribute. So I, I just keep contributing if they, if they feel like I have some value. So. And just think, you share the same role of Spider-Man Noir with everyone's favorite Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> well, I'm in great company then. I think, Christopher, it's probably been asked, or maybe doesn't even need an answer, but in talking about uh, MJ versus Felicia, it made me think, well, you got Peter Parker with MJ and Spider-Man with Black Cat. So maybe there's a question in there, which is the quote-unquote better relationship? I mean, we know there's a longer relationship with Peter and MJ, but... I bet you're tired of the relationship questions. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I guess maybe it comes down to, uh, you know, the relationship that you have with a mask on and the relationship you have without a mask on. Maybe there's some value in the, in sort of seeing what that, you know, what that means to, to us as people, right? <laughs> or, or, or just a manifestation sort of, of of different sides of one's personality. Exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Is there, yeah, uh, sure. is there one, one other thing that I'm thinking of? Is there any one thing that might stick out to you as being... Oh, that was such a drudgery. I couldn't believe it took so long to do this. Was there like one worst thing about this voice work, this animation stuff, and it just was like, uh No, the only thing that um, uh, that is a downside of animation, uh, I mean of uh, voiceover work, is y- your voice will sometimes get completely trashed. So you won't be able to talk the next day. If you, depending on, I mean, if you're screaming and yelling and, you know, doing all that, carrying on, y- y- your voice can just be... It's like uh, it's like going to a concert or an amusement park or something. Yeah. You know, you're just screaming all day, and then the next day you're like, what happened to my voice? A sporting <laughs> event. Kind of, yeah. Well, I was going to say that the answer to that might be, well, the job ended. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, the project is that's over. That. 
What's next? And what what's your uh, biggest bit of advice you give to aspiring voiceover actors? I mean, you know, just do what you love. It's like, uh, it's, it's like um, Joseph Campbell used to say, follow your bliss. You know, if, if you love it, do it. I mean, you, there are a lot of things you can control, and there are a lot of things you can't control. So, you know, making it a Hollywood is, you know, you can control your ship, but you can't control the weather. So don't worry about the weather. You know, I mean, focus on your ship. Try to read the signs of the weather, so to speak, metaphorically, if you can. But, like, you know, ultimately, you don't have control over it. So, you know, be a good captain. Focus on your ship. Do what you love. And, uh, you know, if the uh, winds of fortune, you know, take you to those, those, uh, those seas of fame and, uh, you know, Hollywood and all that, well, you know, go there and see what happens. But uh, the, really the, the most important thing is just do what you like. Do what you enjoy. And if you like voiceover work, do voiceovers. And, and you know, yeah, you can get an agent or try to get an agent or make a good reel and, 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 and send that out there. And you can do all that stuff. But, you know, don't obsess about the outcome because, you know, ultimately it's, it's about the journey, right? It's, you know, just do what you love. And, and because at the end of the day, that's all you're going to have, you know, maybe. So, like, look back and say, man, I did all that because I loved it. And whether you're successful or not, I mean, I write short stories. I, I don't write short stories because I, 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 I want to get famous. I write stories because it's what I love. It's a passion. It's a catharsis for me. And, uh, and, and so I do it. And, you know, if it's an end unto itself, then you'll be happy in the end. Now, two of your stories, The Farmer and The Addict, uh, could you tell yeah. the audience at home about them and how they can be able to read these? Okay, well, the first thing I need to say is that uh, uh, my short stories are a radical departure from anything we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. I have a disclaimer on my website that my short stories are, contain graphic content, violent content, sexual content. They are for adults only, so there's no, there are no Disney princes, there are no animated heroes. This is, you know, my short stories are, are a sort of leaping into the, uh, you know, the Jungian dark spaces of, you know, a guy who grew up in Hollywood. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. So, yeah, it's a whole other thing. But if you do want to read my short stories, uh, it, they are all posted on my website. Um, and my website is my name. It's ChristopherDanielBarnes.com. That's it, just ChristopherDanielBarnes.com. Uh, and then they're, they're just right there. You know, I just have them up there. And if, I mean, you can comment, you can, you know, there's no advertising, there's no nonsense, there's no signing in, there's no money. It's just, just they're there. That's it. What's your favorite thing about writing? Uh, writing is extremely cathartic for me. Um, and uh, writing is... Uh, uh, somebody asked me how I write short stories, and I, you know, I, I don't know how to write short stories. And I've said this before that I, you know, I, I'm sure there are classes and you know whole courses on how to write short stories. Um, I don't, I, I don't know how to do that. I just, uh, I've said this several times. I just bleed onto the page, and you know, what comes out comes out. But apparently, I have a knack for writing short stories. <laughs> so the feedback I've gotten has been very positive. And uh, so I guess whatever you're supposed to do to write a short story, just is sort of. Uh, I guess it sort of comes to me sort of instinctively. I don't think I could write any other form of, of uh, literature. I don't think I could write a novel. I don't think I could write a, a screenplay. Apparently, anything I write comes out in short story form, and, you know, that's it. So, But I'm happy with that. It's, it's just my natural inclination, so, uh, so uh, it's very, very enjoyable for me. So have you intentionally attempted to write a different type of work? or? Uh, no. 
No, I mean, years ago I wrote uh, some, you know, stuff when I was younger. But uh, no, my my writing style is is just everything I try to write. It it just comes out as a short story, and uh, I didn't really realize that because I, I I thought it was supposed to be something different. And then I, you know, I, just, I started doing some research. And I was like, oh, I I'm writing short stories. Like that's that's my that's my genre apparently. What would you and, say uh, you know, then? Sort of like you pick up a. Huh? Yeah, and I was going to say, what would you say? Then I know it's available on the site, and so it's not necessarily printed. But what's the definition in in terms of pages of a short story? Well, I think anything. What is it over? I think anything under fifty pages. I think, or and then it becomes, I think, a novella okay. after that, and then a novel. You know, so yeah, all my stuff is either just a few pages, or I think the longest one I wrote was probably about forty pages, but. Uh, and then there are everything in between, but they're very, uh, you know, they're very, they're mostly brief, few pages, and but you they know, make their point. With uh, the current climate of the world right now, you know, a lot of us are hunkered down doing, you know, our thing at home, and as a result, you know, we're we're being a lot more creative. I'm noticing that, you know, people are doing self-improvement in so many different ways, you know, whether it's sure. doing creative work or, you know, working out and stuff like that. You have that means of release and whatnot, and I'm going to assume that, you know, you've been writing a lot, you know, during this time especially. Yeah, that's why I wrote The Farmer. Um, the Farmer is a very dystopian uh, perspective on um, where I think we're headed as a society. Um, it's a very bleak vision of the future, and uh, it is based on uh, the hyper-partisanship, which is uh, uh, destroying the country right now, and, and which which shows no signs of abating. Um, and... Uh, we need to really take a good look at that because we are in the process of repeating the early 20th century, uh, particularly in Europe. Um, we, we, we literally have fascists and communists shooting each other in the streets and, uh, people may not be prepared to look at it that way at the moment, but that's what is happening. And that is, I, I fear what is going to continue to happen. And I think it's only going to escalate. And I think we're in real trouble. Now, in, so. <laughs> yeah. in regards to, you know, a lot of uh, the writing, are there any particular styles that, you know, you want to gravitate towards? I think the short story is, is, seems to be my natural uh, uh, rhythm. It's sort of like when I pick up a guitar, you know, you know, only one style of music comes out. You know, it doesn't matter what, you know, it's just anything that kind of filters through me. Uh, it, it just says there's one Style. And it's just sort of, I guess it's your natural sort of, you know, flow. And you could cultivate other styles, certainly. Um, but there, there, at least for me, there's this, you know, you know, one genre, so to speak, that resonates with, with me. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that is certainly the short story. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very content to explore that. And it seems to be the one that you know, is most uh, conducive to sort of my cathartic journey. So maybe in part, it sounds like, you know, you, like you said, you, you bleed onto the page you get your point out there, and at some point it it resolves, or maybe it doesn't resolve, and I'm going to have to go and, and do some reading myself, or or in a different way, and, and to make it a little bit lighter, it's one part bleeding and another part uh, coagulation. I don't know. Well, it's uh, I have a quote on my um, on my webpage uh, from Carl Jung, and he says, um, "There is no coming to consciousness without pain. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own souls." One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And that's 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 the that's the real stuff right there. You know, that's it's uh, 
you know, we we need to stop focusing on sort of this, uh, you know, the shiny object in the in the sky, and oh, we're all going to be illuminated and you know enlightened beings, and we don't feel certain things, and you know, we're all sort of transcendent. Yeah, I'd like stop that because you're just running away from the stuff you got to run towards to take a real good look at yourself. Um, at least that's the way I look at it. And you know what? That's what all the myths really are about. The deep myths. It's not about you know, like escaping something. It's about you know going into something. That's why, if you notice, most most myths deal with like terrible descents into the underworld. <laughs> you know, like like terrible trials of the hero being tortured and things like that. You know, why is that? Because that's what it means to be human. To to like to to really attain wisdom or knowledge or enlightenment. You know, isn't about uh, you know, thinking happy thoughts. It's about facing all the unhappy thoughts. Um, maybe that's just, you know, me being a little, I don't know, melodramatic about it, but I, I, I believe it. And uh, I think people really need to take a good look. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's my assessment of the situation because we, uh, we, live in a, uh, we live in a 24-hour news cycle social media echo chamber. And uh, if we stay there, we're doomed yeah. because that breeds a kind of a religious zealotry. Uh, and then we call it politics. Um, but uh, that's, it's much more akin to a religious fanaticism. And uh, we need to take a look at why we're doing that. And we, we can't really understand why we're doing that unless we take a good look at, at our own personal shadows. And, uh, you know, most people unfortunately don't want to do that uh, because it's too convenient to blame the quote unquote other and, uh, you know, while we have that excuse, and that excuse is propped up for us by the uh, politicians and the media, uh, we're not going to resolve anything. Um, well, it'll be resolved. Unfortunately, it'll be resolved with catastrophic violence. And uh, we need to avoid that. At least that's my take on it. By the way, you had mentioned, you know, with, you had mentioned myth, and you had mentioned a quote by the uh, guy earlier. Are you Joseph Campbell guy, too? Oh, yeah, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, Joseph Campbell, uh, Carl Jung... Um, Will Durant, the historian. Oh, goodness, yeah, yeah. With uh, Joseph Campbell, what's uh, your favorite work of his? Well, geez, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose the power of myth. I mean, I suppose the sort of the staple you go to. But he's written so much stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, he goes into all this, this stuff. But anything I've just said, like, none of this is original to me. If anybody listening thinks that, like, wow, that guy really knows his stuff. Like, no, this is all just regurgitated Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, and... Will, Will Durant, <laughs> you know, this is all. This is all just more intelligent people than myself. You know that I'm. I'm essentially quoting. <laughs> the funniest thing is because you know right now I'm going through uh, the Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, and that's why I'm yeah. like, oh, this is appropriate right now. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's it's meat and potato stuff, and uh, I mean even the stuff I've talked about with in terms of like the the political situation. There's a book written in 1962 by a guy named Jacques Ellul called Propaganda and the Formation of Men's Attitudes. I'm just really quoting him because he was a, such a visionary that he essentially predicted kind of the situation we're in, in the sense of the 24-hour news cycle and the social media bubble. Oh, yeah. He just didn't have the terminology back then because it was in the 60s, but it's, it's amazing. It's, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, maybe I read too much, but, uh, you know... <laughs> And That's one, my thought on the matter. <laughs> one thing I was going to ask, um, because you know, you mentioned about the whole, you know, how we're all in like a social media bubble. I know, like, you were a hard person to get a hold of. Like, I was trying to find you on uh, Twitter and whatnot, and I couldn't track you down. But then, if there's a will, there's a Smith, and you know, I, I was able to find you. 
Right on. Well, I mean, I, I'm on. I just started all that up recently, and so I have my my uh, my ChristopherDanielBarnes.com is my or my website, and I link my social media stuff on my front page. But I just started my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, uh, yeah, relatively recently. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so it doesn't surprise me that you wouldn't have been able to find anything until like very recently. And what is your Twitter, by the way, so I can give you a follow ski right now? <laughs> oh, sure. It's I think it's a CDB underscore stories. All righty. I think that's what I have. I mean, I ju- like I said, I just set this all up, so there's not not a lot going on there. But uh, although the farmer got uh, 8.6 thousand likes, huh. <laughs> yeah, it touched a nerve. Mm. Very cool. All right. So before we wrap this up, we wanted to give you a big thank you for joining us on the program today. Hey, my pleasure. It's always uh, it's always great talking about uh, you know my career and Spider Man and mythology and the writing and all that. So it's uh, it's my pleasure. And of course, obviously, you know, goes without saying, you have an open invite to come on the show anytime you want. Yeah, hey, I appreciate that. Thanks very much. You can web swing on by. I just did the pants. Uh, too. <laughs> okay. He did. Thank you for swinging by our neck of the podcast woods. Christopher Daniel Barnes, Underneath the Mask, Spider-Man 1994 animated series. Thank you very much again. I love how you did, like, the radio exit. Like, that's so good. I love how you do that. Just a compliment. Narrator, you're welcome. <laughs> for The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Christopher Daniel Barnes. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. And now, return with us to another edition of Obsessed with Marvel, Christopher Daniel Barnes edition, this day, August 4th, 2020. Glad you could timestamp it, Eddie. Thank what you. What time is it? It's time for Obsessed with Marvel with our guest. Very smooth, Eddie. This is what I have to work with. Question number 1238. What is Gambit's mutant power? Has the ability to alter probability... Charges objects with kinetic energy, projects explosive force, or has psionic powers? This question is good for foreshadowing for the future. Uh, Stay I... tuned, true believers, because I'm not going to say what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll read uh, it. I don't know. Well, he threw the cards, right? So he could do the projecting the force thing. What do you guys think? Um, I'm probably going to go right there. I'll read it again. What is Gambit? Gambit's mutant power has the ability to alter probability. Charges objects with kinetic energy. That one. Projects explosive force or has psionic powers. I'm going to go with B. Yeah, I think B is the answer. So... Our Peter senses We all do. Yes, Peter senses ting. Peter! Yes. The closest one to Spider-Man next to the voice that we're talking to. Okay, 2137. How do we appreciate... Oh, wait, no, it didn't work. No, we need a 4, 6, and an 8 in there. And now before I lose the actual number... Two one three seven, armbar. Okay, <laughs> and uh, it's a long one because it's got a paragraph or so to go with it. So listen up, kiddies. In the early nineteen seventies, Marvel decided to see how far it could go toward depicting a vampire within a comics code that prohibited supernatural characters. I do believe our guest is very familiar with this character. In Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man, here we go. In Amazing Spider-Man number one hundred one. Writer Roy Thomas and artist Gil Kane created Morbius the Living Vampire. Morbius was not a true supernatural vampire, but rather owed his origin to science fiction. Attempting to cure himself of a blood disease, Dr. Michael Morbius conducted experiments with vampire bats that backfired, turning him into a superhuman creature that needed to attack and bite victims for their blood to survive. 
Since Morbius's vampirism was not supernatural, the Comics Code Authority had no problem with it. And in parentheses, the code was soon amended, permitting Marvel to portray true vampires like Dracula. Originally an antagonist for Spider-Man, Morbius later appeared in his own stories in Adventure into Fear, Vampire Tales, and eventually his own Morbius comic. Morbius has best been portrayed as a reluctant vampire ridden by guilt over his compulsion to attack victims and desperately seeking a cure for his condition. And now the question. During Morbius's... Oh, Eddie, that's a DC character. Stop it. During Morbius's first meeting with Spider-Man, what was unusual about the ladder? Not the thing you climb up. <laughs> I was going to make that joke. <sighs> was it he had lost his spider sense... He had grown four extra arms, he had lost his spider powers, or he had grown organic web shooters. Choice E, he lost his sense of smell. First meeting with Spider during Morbius's first meeting with Spider-Man, what was unusual about the latter? He had lost his spider sense, he had grown four extra arms, he had lost his spider powers, he had grown organic web shooters. I'm gonna go with A on that one. I think it was around the time he had the extra arms, wasn't it? But Is didn't he? Arm? I don't remember. Well, <sighs> no, wait. Extra arms was Clone Saga, I think. But I think he got the extra arms because of him getting an inje- uh, uh, blood transfusion, blood something. He had bad Chipotle. That's it. Okay, I was kind of thinking lost his spider sense myself, but that, that's what I was. Thinking. I'd really need to back up to that. But uh, let's just—we kind of have two of three of us saying with saying the, A. Yeah, let's go with A. So let's try it and see what we got. No, it's not A. The answer is he had grown four extra arms. Oh, wow, look at you. Look at you is right. I have no choice. Christopher, you have a little exception there. All right, let's go for our third question. Further on up the line, that is two, four, four, one. I'm not quite there. Okay, 2441. To whom was the hippie superhero Captain Hip married? What a terrible superhero name. Wow. (laughs) And it's all in capital. Superhero Captain Hip. To whom was the hippie superhero Captain Hip married? Pixie, Sunshine, Rapunzel, or Firefall? That's a group. I should just walk out of the room for this joke. It's a late 70s group. Firefall. To whom was the hippie superhero Captain Hip married? Pixie, Sunshine, Rapunzel, Firefall. I'm trying to match up hip to something. Um, All I can think of is that dating game on The Simpsons. I got the dud. <laughs> this is all guesswork now. So, our guest, let me take a shot first. Do we need all right, them again? Let's go, with, uh, let's go with Sunshine. It's either Sunshine or Pixie. I don't know. I have no idea. Let's go with Sunshine. Right. Let's go with Sunshine. All right. I was Ain't think- no Sunshine. I kind of was th- Bill Withers. I was kind of thinking uh, <laughs> Pixie myself, but I'll hit B, Sunshine, and... It is correct. There is sunshine. Hey, Talk ho. about a wild out of there. So we're at we're at two for three. Do we want to try for a fourth? Are you good for one more? Sure. Why sure. Not? Okay. Here we go. And it's kind of close to that. No numerically, and it's two two five three. Okay. Who is Marionette? I think I got this. Uh, Princess Mary of the Microverse. Is it the heroine of the Sword in the Star? Is it the lover of Star-Lord or the creation of the Puppet Master? Who is Marionette? Again, Princess Mary of the Microverse, the heroine of the Sword in the Star, the lover of Star-Lord or the creation of the Puppet Master? 
Oh, you got to go with Creation of the Puppet Master, don't you? <laughs> Peter? I'm actually going with A, because I remember Micronauts. They had like a mini character, you know? Well, they were all mini, but... Oh! They were! <laughs> they came from inner space. I'm going with A, Princess Mary of the Microverse. It's a Microverse character that I know I'm going to go with uh, the last option, then. Yeah. Creation of the Puppet Master? Yeah. I'm hitting A, and... Oh, good God. It is letter C, the lover of Star-Lord. How could you, no, Peter, not know not. that? Well, oh, to, I wow, am, okay. Oh, I am going to Google this. It's going to be a letter to the editor, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm There's a disruption here because Peter is a big Star-Lord you know, person, and uh, that does not quite ring true. Yeah, Unless there was one, more than one marionette. I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to Mike's state representative. It's a, you know, or Tom Brevoort. <laughs> <laughs> Him, too. Him, too. All right, we're out. That's it. Two out of four. Ain't bad. Well, I mean, kind of. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Will he offer me his mouth? Yes. Will he offer me his teeth? Yes. Will he offer me his jaws? Yes. Will he offer me his hunger? Yes. Again. Will he offer me his hunger? Yes! And will he starve without me? Yes! Then, does he love me? Yes. Yes. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red rose? Yes. I bet you say that to all the boys.